Rundown. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, welcome back to the show. The NFL Draft in the books officially. The Cardinals taking five of their seven picks and putting them on the defensive side of the football. And to get a little insight on that and just the draft in general, we're joined on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line by Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network. Jamie, thanks for the time. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Just coming down from the high of draft season and just you go from incredibly busy to it all just stops in an instant. It really is. That part's not the best. But the the draft season, and I don't know, I mean, I know it was it was big last year just because of we didn't have much else going on in terms of sports, but I, it felt more fun this year. It just, I don't know, it felt more real. It really did. And it's interesting because I, I think you're looking at a kind of a shift in sports in general to more of a prospect or who's next or, you know, young men and young women's leagues across the sports world people are almost starting to pay more attention and care more about the building aspect of a long-term build of a franchise than they even are with the immediate results. And that's, that's trickled over to the NFL draft and its coverage as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I know Jets fans that have cared more about the draft than their actual team for about a decade now. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's go with the Cardinals and the pessimistic Cardinals fan will look and say, okay, well, look, the Cardinals took another positionless linebacker in the first round, and they took another short, fast receiver uh, in the second round this year with Zayvon Collins and Rondale Moore. Now, it's not fair to those guys. Those guys are not the same guys that the Cardinals have drafted in the past. But specifically those top two picks, is that about what you expected, or were you anticipating maybe a move for a corner in there? Well, the first one, more so than the second one, I didn't expect. Um, I did expect them to go after corner with 16 or maybe even try to trade back if they had that opportunity if one of those top two guys didn't fall to them. or And they did, particularly if they didn't really love Greg Newsom or Caleb Farley because of his medicals. Uh, you know, the Zayvon Collins one is interesting to me because there's a lot to like about him. He was arguably the most dynamic defensive player in college football last year. And I know the phrase positionless linebacker has been thrown out there, and, and Steve Kimes and Cliff Kingsbury have both discussed exactly where they want him to play, and they basically want him to be ahead of Jordan Hicks as the Mike linebacker. Yeah. The question is going to be is can he play that role to the level he needs to at the reported 270 pounds he weighed in at most recently? I mean, the average NFL player at that spot is in that mid-240s, so you're asking him to basically be a defensive end that, at size that is playing inside as, as a middle linebacker. So we'll have to see if he's able to consistently be as agile and as effective as he was last year in college uh, at the NFL level at that size. But dude's an alpha on the field, does a little bit of everything well. Like you, you like the player, just you have to kind of question if that was the most advantageous type of player they could have taken at number 16 without trading back. And uh, I think he'll be a good player for Arizona, but then the question becomes, is it the right fit? Did you really need that relative to some other major positions of need? For Rondell Moore, you know, you're looking at a receiver that I think they had to add another receiver to this offense. So I'm not upset that they did that. The Cardinals ran four wide more than any team in the NFL last year. And wide receiver four was primed to be Andy Isabella. So I think having that other option there, particularly in the slot, is not a bad thing. The question for me is, can Rondell Moore be the player to fit in that offense that they want? This is not somebody that has gone vertically down the field a ton. He's got a lot of injury risk, played only a handful of games over the last two years. Um, But he's somebody that if he is healthy and used the right way, he's really dynamic. He's explosive. He's great after the catch. 
You can manufacture touches for him, but you don't have to. He can get open in other ways. My only concern is going to be, can he be a downfield threat? Because he really hasn't been that, wasn't asked to do much of that at Purdue. And more importantly, can he stay healthy? Because the old cliche makes sense. Your best ability is your availability. And he wasn't available very often these last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge risk. What, seven seven college games over the last two years for him? Um, I won't go through all the Cardinals picks, but what they did do at corner they get Marco Wilson, who everybody immediately identified as the guy who threw the shoe in the LSU game. They get him in the fourth round, and they do get Tay Gowan in the sixth round. Specifically with Gowan, is that I don't, to me it seemed like that was a lot later than he should have gone. Yeah, it, it's funny because he's a guy that kind of seems to get like lost in the shuffle there. Uh, you know, again, neither one of those two corners are really somebody you're looking at to start for you right away and you basically you really didn't spend draft capital that indicates either one of those two are going to start for you right away uh, but I was a little surprised that we have at TDN we had Tay Gowan actually ranked um, several spots ahead of Marco Wilson um, so it was one of those ones where maybe if you flip that you would get a little bit of a different reaction from fans maybe a lot like the Raiders' first two picks you kind of flip the order there and it falls more in line with where people had him both uh, you know with Marco Wilson in particular because he was drafted first He's got a lot of things you like. He just hasn't put everything together. He's got size and strength. He's got a lot of physical traits. That you, if you look at and say, if you were trying to build a corner, he's got a lot of the pieces to the puzzle. But the puzzle is nowhere close to being put together yet. Um, and there was a lot to be desired last year. His, his best college football year was still his year as a freshman at Florida. And there were times where he looked lethargic, pre-snap, post-snap, against the run. So maybe with some really good coaching, some refocusing um, particularly the way his college season ended, getting in there around professionals. He, they might be able to turn him into something. But if they're asking, asking to play a significant role right away, whether that's because of injuries or elsewise, I think you're going to see pretty significant growing pains. Uh, sticking with that cornerback position then, I mean, like you just said, you're probably not asking those guys, hopefully not asking them to step in and be starters right away. But if that's the case, then your starters at, at corner with Patrick Peterson gone are Malcolm Butler and Robert Alford. And as much as they like Robert Alford and as much as he has looked good in the past, particularly here in training camp, they've never actually gotten a game out of him. So if one of those two guys does have to step in, in your mind, is one of them more NFL ready right now? Um, I guess I, I would say Gowan's more ready because I think his floor for year one is probably a little bit higher, but I don't think any of them are really ready to play major roles right now. And I'm very curious to see what the rest of this offseason, what those first round of cuts that happen in the summer and fall. I imagine the Cardinals are going to be pretty active in those last cut free agent market as we get closer to the season because I'm of the mind right now you can't go into the season week one with the current group of cornerbacks you have. Uh, you, you give yourself absolutely no protection. And, you know, Alfred hasn't pl- basically hasn't played in two years. Yeah. And you can't get, you don't know what you're going to get when you get him back on the field. You don't know how healthy he's going to be. And you, just, you have no safety net right now. So I imagine they're going to be active in bringing some veterans in later in the offseason that get cut from other teams. And those guys will end up playing maybe more significant roles right away than either Gowan or Wilson. Talking to Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network, one of the positions that I was a little surprised they didn't even attempt to address in the draft, and I've got mixed uh, mixed reaction from people when I say this from Cardinals fans, I was a little surprised they didn't go with a running back, even in like round six or something. Uh, you've got Chase Edmonds, you've never seen him be a starter for a full season, you've got James Conner who... 
people seem to think he's like 40 years older than he actually is. He's still only 25, but both those guys are signed for just one year, and Connor's been beat up lately. Do you do you see a need, even if it's, a I guess, a veteran now, for them to add another running back before the season starts? I do think it's at least worthwhile. Uh, this was kind of a product of them going into the draft with limited capital. Uh, when, you, when you have limited numbers in general for the amount of lottery tickets you can take on draft week, you really can't spend one on a running back unless it really, really is going to be a player that's going to play a featured role for you. And it, it made it clear with the James Conner signing that they were not going to be in play for the Najee Harris's, the Travis Etienne's, or the Javante Williams's of the world at 16. Uh, so Chase Evans is a guy that's been liked by a number of coaching staffs that have come through there. Uh, they, they've had, obviously, three, three coaching staffs in recent memory, and all three of them really enjoyed what Chase Edmonds brought to the table. It's going to be interesting to see how he gets used. Can he handle the workload? Uh, I, I believe the stat I heard that actually Kenyon Drake had more carries last year than Chase Edmonds has in his career, uh, which makes sense to me when you kind of given how he was used. I don't know how much James Conner has left in the tank either, but in short yardage, inside the red zone type situations, uh, he could still be a factor. I think bringing in a veteran would make some sense. I get why they didn't spend draft capital on one, but – uh, to me, I think either way, you need to bring in another third option. With all due respect to you know Benjamins and Jonathan Wards of the world, I do think you need, given the fact you Edmonds is an unknown and Connor's injury history, you need another option because the Cardinals have made it very, very clear this offseason. They are trying to win right now. And if they're going to do that, part of that is having contingency plans at key areas across the team in case you have injury troubles. And right now, that is a spot that's maybe not glaring, but should be on their radar. Uh, you mentioned that the Cardinals are are building to win right now, and it is they absolutely are. It's it's a little ironic when you look around the division, and they are the quarter the team with the quarterback that has a longer future. You would think. I mean, the Rams have Stafford, the Seahawks have Russell Wilson. I I don't totally know what the Forty ers have now, but in general, you would think the Cardinals maybe would have a longer leash, except maybe Cliff Kingsbury doesn't, and maybe even Steve Kime doesn't, depending on how this year goes. But when you look at the 49ers, how, what are they doing <laughs> at quarterback? I mean, I, I guess I understand the move to get your quarterback of the future, but can they realistically expect to have Jimmy Garoppolo start all the games this year? No, I don't think that's the plan. Um, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo probably starts week one, and they've kind of boxed themselves into a corner. With, they're not really able to move him because the contract is, is prohibitive, and there's a ton of veteran quarterbacks that were available this offseason, so they kind of got – you know, they kind of got lost out in the shuffle of musical chairs there. But uh, look, they, this is interesting to me because I like Trey Lance a lot. I think he's a great fit for that offense. But in a vacuum, I thought he would be a great person to sit for a full season or at least most of a full season. The Niners made this move in an effort to win now, much like the Cardinals did. So you have to wonder, like, when do they switch from the Jimmy Garoppolo train, who's been okay for them, a lot of injury history, doesn't really have – I would say he gets you what you scheme up for him, but nothing more, and he's been hurt. But if this San Francisco 49ers team is fully healthy, uh, I do expect that they're going to be major competitors in the NFC West, in the NFC as a whole. And then the murmurs for Trey Lance are going to get louder and louder, and he is going to start at some point this season. Yeah, you don't typically see a team that's a Super Bowl contender put themselves in a position where they're that reliant on a rookie, whether it's this year or it's the end of the season or even next year. I mean, the 49ers are pretty well set up. They they are now very much tied to Trey Lance. Given their landing spots and then what you know about them just as players coming into this league, 
I guess take Trevor Lawrence out of the equation for a second, but those other four, usually what is it? It's like 40% of quarterbacks taken in the first round really actually succeed at the NFL level. Do you have a favorite in there, or do you have one you're more worried about than the others? Well, probably my favorite. There's a couple of this ones here. Like in a vacuum, my favorite would probably be Justin Fields. Uh, I still think he's gotten severely – he's got a bad deal um, through this draft process. I'm not sure why the narratives across the draft Twitter and the league – shifted on him so dramatically from the time football stopped being played to the time we got to the draft. Uh, you know, he's somebody that we had as our QB two as a consensus, even over Zach Wilson here at TDN. And that was across all five scouts that we have on staff. They all had, it was very close between the two, but they all had fields over Wilson, which was antithetical to what you saw mostly around the league and in most draft prognosticators rankings. Uh, I think he's in an interesting spot in Chicago right now. You still have Allen Robinson there. You still have Darnell Mooney, Anthony Miller's there for now if he doesn't get traded. Uh, they bring in Dash Newsom late. Like, that's a team that could be interesting offensively for him, and he's got the rushing ability to have some more success as he continues to grow and maybe learns to get out of the pocket a little bit more and use those legs. Um, from a scheme fit standpoint, Trey Lance would be awesome with Kyle Shanahan, but I also think he's the most draw. He's got 17 college starts under his belt all in the FCS, so you're going to have to project a little bit more for him particularly if you're going to throw him in the fire in year one. Um, you know, to me, if I had to be worried about one, I think it's Matt Jones. I think he's the least talented of the bunch there. Uh, we, a lot of our guys here had like a third-round grade on him, uh, but obviously that's not, you know, third-round graded quarterbacks tend to get pushed up the board because of the position. I, I just think he's got a low ceiling. Uh, and look, is he improvement over what the Patriots currently have there in New England? I think so. But I also don't think he has anywhere near the ceiling of the top four quarterbacks off the board. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about Fields because I really don't fully understand why he dropped so much after the season ended anyway. I mean, there were people talking during the season, and it was crazy, but there were people saying well, maybe this guy's almost as good as Trevor Lawrence, and then all of a sudden the season ends and, and he becomes the fourth quarterback off the board. And going into the draft, it was just a foregone conclusion. Zach Wilson was going to be the second one off the board. What have you seen from him, and, and, and what is it exactly that experts suddenly love so much about him? So Zach, because he's he's such a dynamic player. Like he's got the energy, and his he makes a lot of these big throws. Like he wants to attack the honey hole on the sideline between the linebacker and the corner, or the corner and the safety, depending on which receivers are going in that spot. You know, he also was just consistently dominant across the board pretty much all season long. And and I think part of that's the competition that he played. Part of it is a simple fact of when you are kind of in this riser, when people start to really get your attention. And BYU was playing a lot on, like, Friday night. They were and not only with the night of the week, but because a lot of games getting canceled, Zach Wilson got featured, and he just looks the part. He's got, he's got the swagger. He's made some of these big throws. Where I think on the Justin Fields side, if you watch, like, the Indiana game, you watch the Northwestern game, there were some warts there. But I think that's unfair. The competition that Justin Fields had to go up against throughout from the start to the finish of the season was light years ahead of what Zach Wilson had. And that's not to say that Zach Wilson's a bad player. I, he's very good. But I think at some point you kind of get this momentum and you kind of go with what you saw most recently. And it's just in terms of what you saw on tape last season, Zach Wilson didn't put a lot of bad tape out there where Justin Fields had a couple things. So if you wanted to knock him down or you wanted to, you know, put your franchise on the line there, you look at what you saw most recently, and one had a couple more bad games than the other. But I think they're way closer in ranking than they were being discussed with for most of the draft process. 
talking to Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network. Jamie, I want to ask you about a couple more guys before we let you go. One of them, I, I have to bring up Kyle Pitts. There were a couple mock drafts a couple weeks ago that had the Cardinals trading up to seven to get him, and they were that was never going to happen because he was never going to last to seven. But from what you've seen from Kyle Pitts, you know, I made this point in the past. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, the two generational tight ends in the league right now were, were much later picks in the draft. One was a third, one was a fifth, I believe. Kyle Pitts, though, goes in the top five. Is he as good as everybody assumes, and do you like Atlanta as a fit for him? Based on what we've seen, yes. Uh, it's always tough. I mean, there are always can't-miss prospects in the draft cycle that bust, but he's got sure hands, wide catch radius. He's a mistake eraser. Like, you throw the ball anywhere near him, he is going to get it. Uh, you know, he is so quick and agile for someone that's 6'6", just under 250. He can just run after the catch abilities. He separates like a top wide receiver. Like, he does a little bit of everything well. And, and calling him a tight end is limiting. Like, it's just it, he is more of a wide receiver, and that's the way he's going to be used more often than not. They're not going to put his hand in the dirt and ask him to block a ton. Because there's some, he's okay at it, but that's not why you get him. I like to fit in Atlanta a lot just from a perspective of Arthur Smith loves to get tight ends involved in his offense. There are a ton of weapons there in Atlanta, and there's going to be a ton of passing volume that he can have a lot of success with. And he might step into bigger roles in the next couple of years, particularly if these Julio Jones trade rumors pan out and he has moved either this year or next year. You know, you could question whether or not maybe they should have taken a quarterback there, maybe try to trade back, but... Uh, if they were going to stick in that spot, Pitts was the best fit for them, and I'm really, really excited to see him and what he's able to do at the NFL level. All right, before we wrap it up, any names that really stood out to you as probably should have gone higher than they did? Like any steals or anybody, I guess, that fell and and just kind of you don't really totally know why? Yeah, there's always a couple of them, and usually you find out it's it's injury-related. You know, Aziz Ojolari fell out of the first round down to 50, the defensive end for the Giants. Found out he had a knee injury coming into it, so there were some issues there. Uh, we just recently found out earlier today that uh, JOK, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, had, uh, was flagged for a heart concern. Uh, he was somebody that was being discussed in the top 20 conversations, fell all the way to the Browns at 52. Uh, but so those were guys that I looked at and I thought, you know, Kevin Jenkins, another one that goes to the Bears, kind of fell out of the first round. All of those guys were like pretty well-considered first-round picks that kind of fell. Um, and, you know, for some reaches, and let, let's stay in the division for a second, and maybe I want your thoughts on this too, Luke. I don't get the 2-2 Atwell selection by the Rams. Uh, it's a team that needs offensive line help. You've already pretty deep at receiver, and you're taking a player that is, I mean, we talked all about Devonta Smith's weight coming into this. 2-2 Atwell is my, my, be the smallest player in the NFL next year. Uh, so that was one that really shocked me, and that's one that Cardinals fans should be probably paying a lot of attention to. That's in the division that also added a guy like Dwayne Eskridge in Seattle, I don't get that one at all. Yeah, specifically on Atwell, too. I mean, the Rams are notorious for just never having a first-round pick, so that was their first pick of the draft. And I understand, you know, he's still the 57th guy off the board, but that's your first pick. And like you said, I just I don't feel like the Rams needed that. You know, it's, it's not even necessarily a knock on him. It's just I don't really totally understand why the Rams needed to do that. Um, on the receivers, those top three with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase – any sort of projections on how you see those guys going? I mean, are they all grouped together in that tier? Is that fair? Or is there one that you think will separate himself now that you see where they've gotten drafted? So Chase and Waddle both have, look, all three have the skill sets to be incredibly successful. The issue is, I think you look at Devonta Smith and he's going down there to Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. We're not fully sure what we're going to get from him as a passer in year two. 
quite frankly, whether he's even the long-term answer or even the 2022 starter for that Philadelphia Eagles team. So you have to be a little concerned there. Uh, you look at Jalen Waddle, who I think is as talented as any receiver in this class, is extremely explosive and is a great fit in Miami because he brings something to that receiving room that they currently lack as an explosive inside guy. But Tua Tagovailoa had a lot of growing pains last year. Can he step forward this year? I expect he will, but it's tough to project exactly how far forward he can go. Jamar Chase is in the best landing spot for him. Like He's got that connection with Joe Burrow. He's on an offense that prior to Burrow's season-ending knee injury had the second-most passing attempts in the NFL last year. He can do it all. He will step in as their wide receiver one and will get peppered with a ton of targets. So I expect Jamar Chase to have the best rookie season of the bunch. And I think probably right now the best early career just because he has the most advantageous quarterback situation of the three. Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network. Great stuff as always, man. We look forward to talking to you again when we get closer to football season. Thanks for having me, Luke. That's Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network who joined us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit ColterCadillacTempe.com.